Okay? So I think we left off in verse 19 last week, right? So somebody give me the context. Oh, what's going on in John chapter 17? Somebody tell me to set it up for me. Really? No, you just tell me, I mean, you ain't got to give me detail. What's going on? What's happening right here in chapter 17? Somebody says, what John, what's going on in John 17? Jesus, Jesus is praying. Jesus is praying. That's right. He's praying for, what's he praying for? Himself, brothers. His disciples. Disciples, that's right. They know that he's fixing, he has told them that he's fixing to leave them. He is going to be with the Father, and they're going to be left in the world. He's prayed, you know, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but I pray that you would keep them safe from the evil one, that you would, you know, send them on their mission and all kind of thing like that. So if we pick up right at the end, in verse 20, it says, Neither pray I for these alone. Now, up to this point, he's been praying for the disciples, those 11 guys that are in that room. He says, Neither I pray for I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. Who is that? Who's he, who, who's he praying for now as he switches? Anybody who gets saved. That's right. Anybody who believes. Anybody who believes. Now, this is, for me, it's like, if you take John chapter 13 through 16, for me, has always been... I mean, it's almost like a movie. I guess. It, I mean, I guess it could make. I guess it has been made a movie. But it's almost like a movie. Jesus comes and he brings his disciples in. He washes their feet. He he teaches them about what's going to happen. He he lets them know that they are not. They're not ready for all this stuff. They're going to deny him. They're going to, you know, be. Uh, uh, they're going to. They're going to deny him. They're going to be not ready for what's about to happen. He told them that he's leaving. You know, he's just sitting around and he's, he's teaching his disciples. The last, you know, the, And then he starts praying in this chapter, chapter 17. He starts praying and he's praying for them. So they're sitting around him and all of a sudden Jesus starts out praying, God glorify me. Uh, and let me glorify you. And I, I pray for these here that they would be one as we are one. And that, you know, he starts praying for them. And you're sitting around listening. And then all of a sudden, if this is a movie, and I'm just kind of picturing it like this. If, if this is a movie, Jesus turns to the camera and says, I'm praying for you too. See what I mean? Like for me, it's like you, uh, I mean, you get this picture in your mind about the disciples. And wow, what it must have been like to, uh, to be with Jesus and to be, you know, actually in the physical presence of Christ as he came and taught and all these things. And, and, uh, and the reality is Jesus, he, he prays not only for these men that are in the room with him, but he prays for every person throughout time who would believe on their word. What is their word, you think? Gospel. We have the, the Bible was written by the apostles, or the New Testament was written by the apostles and the people that were connected directly to the apostles. Their witness. Their witness. Yes. Like their testimony. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. Of who Jesus is, what he did, what it means, that was written down for us in the scripture. And so last week we talked about how Jesus' prayers are effective. Like, Jesus never sinned. Jesus never failed to do the Father's will. And so, every time Jesus prayed, 
He prayed according to the Father's will. Does that make sense? So, like, I keep saying, I've said like like 40 times already. If I were to pray, I could, because of my sinful nature, because of my heart, I could pray for something that's not good for me. I could pray for something that, you know, God would be like, there's no way I'm letting you have that. You know, if, if I were to suddenly get a million dollars today, that would probably be the worst thing that would ever happen to me because I would not probably handle it well. Same thing happens, I remember I tell a story all the time about Sophie wanting ice cream at 6 o'clock in the morning. And, you know, she's like, I'm such a mean daddy because I won't give her ice cream at 6 o'clock in the morning. When the reality is, I know as soon as she eats ice cream at 6 o'clock in the morning, they're going to be calling me from school at 9 o'clock going, you need to come pick up your daughter, she's got a stomachache, and blah, 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 blah. And so, Jesus didn't, didn't have a sinful nature. Didn't, Jesus wasn't... What didn't have the fleshly part of the world, the sin inside him, the, the thing inside of him that's always wanting to do evil. So he always prayed. When he prayed, he never asked for things that uh, would not be good. You know, he never asked. The, the one time that he did say, Lord, if it's any way possible, take this cup from me, the very next word was, not my will, let your will be done. And so what I'm getting at is, Jesus would never have prayed a prayer that the Father would have said, "Eh, that's really not in my will. And so when he prays for you and I, he prays for the disciples. He prays that they would be protected. He prays that they would be guided. He prays that they would be be ministers in the world, that that they would be part of of him and and him part of us. It says in him and us in him and him in us. Um, He's also praying for us who live 2,000 years later that have come to know him through those apostles' words that they wrote down in the scripture, he's praying for you. So as a, as a hospital chaplain, when I go into somebody's room, uh, well, so, I mean, sometimes people don't want you there and they don't care, but most of the time when you go in, there's comfort in laying your hand on somebody's shoulder and praying for them. You've probably been prayed for or prayed for others when you were sick or when something was going on. I mean, but in this moment here, it's almost like Jesus is coming and he's laying his hand on your shoulder, on my shoulder, on us who live 2,000 years later on, on the other side of the world. And he's praying for us that we would be guided and that we would be protected and that we would be all these things. So we've seen this throughout chapter 17 that he's praying for these disciples and he's right there with them. He, they, you know, they could be gathered up in a circle. I don't know how they're <coughs> praying. But, but here he says, I don't just pray for these. It's all of a sudden like he's talking to the camera, you know, like for us. He says, I pray for all of those who would believe on their word. All of those who in the future. So he's not just praying for those people at that time. He's praying for people that would believe 2,000 years from then. He's praying for people if the world keeps spinning for 2,000 more years. He's praying for them people. Does that give you any comfort? Any? I mean, it's like when someone comes and puts their hand on me, knows that I'm going through a tough time, struggling, whatever, something in life, and they come and they pray and they address that and they, they speak directly to that and they pray for God's you know guidance or whatever. It's comforting to know that there's someone else you know, lifting up your name to God, but here you've got the Son of God doing the exact same thing. It's comforting to know that He's going to get what He wants because He's asking it to be in the Father's will. Yeah. That, and and He's, he's uh, actually asking, like I said, for us, so we, we're benefiting from it. 
So, yeah, so not just, it's not just a hope. Boy, I really hope. It's an assurance that God is going to guide his disciples, whether they be living in the first century or whether they be living in 2015. God is going to protect his disciples. Does that mean that you're never going to go through anything, that you're never going to have struggles? That all of the disciples, save John, were killed violently for their testimony. So we know that when, God, when Jesus said, I pray that you protect them, that you keep them from the evil ones, is specifically what he said. We know that doesn't mean you'll never get a bobo or you'll never get persecuted or you'll never get whatever. You know, those things are going to happen. But they will, their soul, their life, their eternal destiny is protected. And nothing comes to them, nothing happens to them, nothing happens to us who are in Christ that does not pass through God's hands first. Does that make sense? Now, sometimes that's, lo- that's logical when I say that, and you can, you can agree with me. But sometimes bad things happen. And when, when they happen, it's hard to come to that, it's hard to accept that, uh, that truth unless it's, a foundation under you already. Does that make sense? Like right now, I can say nothing will happen to you that God does not allow to happen to you for a reason. You will all say, yes, amen, I understand, that's right. But if you go home today and a tornado blows down your house, we'll probably be the first ones to say, God, why are you doing this to me? You know, uh, you know, whatever. But the reality is that if you're a believer in Christ, if you've trusted Him, if you're following Him, if, if He has changed your heart, really, is what all that means. If He's changed your heart, and there's nothing, I mean, there's nothing standing in between your relationship with God. There's no more sin in between you because He's cleansed it, not because you're doing better or because you're greater or whatever. But if, if He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness by the blood of His Son, then He, he is all things work for good, Romans 8.28. All things are working for your good. When your house gets blown down, it's working for your good. Your good might not be to be healthy, happy, rich, and enjoy the heck out of life. Good for you might be, I need to humble you so you'll be more like Christ. Amen. I need to do things. You know, I need, to, I need to make sure I keep you here so you can learn from me and you can take my yoke upon you. Uh, sometimes the best thing for us is not to get a million dollars and to be living on easy street. The best thing for us is to to suffer uh, because it's through that suffering that Jesus obtained glory and it's through that suffering that we become like Jesus. Make sense? Okay. Questions or comments? Cries of outrage? All right. So he looks in the camera. He says, I mean you. In verse 20 that we're at, neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's us. Look what he wants for us. In verse 21. That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they, that they also may be one in us. So what he's saying there. Now, really, really get this. These last few verses are so important for us as we live this Christian life, as we walk through, you know, this deal. Because, because here, I mean... Really think about what he's saying. It's not just the disciples that are there in the room. Not just the people that witnessed the crucifixion. Not just the fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and 
and Elijah and Ezekiel and Isaiah and all. You read about all these people. You read about in the, in, the, in the Faith Hall of Fame, Hebrews 11, where it talks about just all the people of faith that God has used and, and all the things that they went through. You and I, living in 2015, Brownsville, Tennessee, are part of that group. We're part of those people. They are, Abraham is our father. You know, so to speak. You know, the, the way that the way that the Jews would say Abraham is our father and David is our greatest king, the, those are that's our history. When we come into Christ, that becomes our Amen. our background, our history, our people. The people of God are one together. It doesn't matter if they're from China or from Japan or from you know Palestine or America or whatever. Jesus here is praying. I'm praying for them, all the people that will believe. Not just here in this place, but every place. Not just here in this time, but every time throughout the end of history. I'm praying that they would all be one in the same way that you and I are one. How is the Father and the Son one? We know that the Trinity, Father and the Son, are one being, Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. But how else are they one? He just, he's not praying for, for being Pam to be one being, I promise you. <laughs> how is he praying for us to be one? Oh, is that right? He wouldn't do that to you? How's he praying for us to be one? How, how are believers one? Now, when I first asked that question of myself, and when I was thinking about it, I was thinking, what could be more divided than all the different people who claim to know Christ? You know, they all got different beliefs and different whatever. I mean, it's just everywhere. But that, that being set aside, how are we one... Through the blood of Christ. We are one through the blood of Christ. We're one body. One church. One church. Now, you may have people that disagree about this or that. You may have people who think they're part of the body that are not part of the body. But God doesn't have but one body. God doesn't have but one people. And that's believers. Whether they be Jew or Gentile, whether they be slave or free, male or female, God has one body, one fellowship. So, that we all can be one and yielding to the Holy Spirit is that guides us in the things that God would have us to do and that we will be more susceptible to His moving in each other's lives so we'll be more aware of who is and who isn't one of the body. Okay, that we would just be more open to... Yeah. Okay, and the Holy Spirit will move in each one of our lives. Um, but he'll always, the plumb line for that is always the scripture, right? So, if you put five guys in a room with a Bible, I mean, each guy has a Bible, each guy has his room, you, them five guys may walk out of those five rooms with differing views about what's true, what's not true, what's whatever. They may all have a different view, but there's only one Bible. And there's a right way and a wrong way to understand it. Does that make sense? Like one time my brother told me, we were talking about something, and I said, well, that's not what that means. It means, you know, talking about Bible stuff. And he said, well, that's your interpretation. And I said, yeah, it is my interpretation, but one of us is wrong and one of us is right. You can't have your interpretation and I have mine and us both be right. See what I mean? One of us is, we can both be wrong, I guess, but you can't both be right. So it's like if I wrote a book or if you wrote a book, you have an intention. You have a meaning when you write. 
And if somebody comes along and says, well, Jason meant this, and Jason says, no, I didn't mean that, then guess what? You're wrong, and I'm right. And so the authors of the scripture have a meaning when they write. Does that make sense? I don't know how I got off on that. But they have a meaning, and so that is the plumb line that, uh, by which we judge. I had a, had a young lady, I just had this thought. It's all in agreement with the gospel according to the scripture. Right, right, yes, yes. Now, I, ha- I had a, a, a lady walk to my office this week that, you know, she was going through relationship things, and, and she, she, she was trying to tell me that God was telling her to do something that the scripture specifically forbids to be done. And so my only response to that is, no, it's not God telling you that. I mean, I don't care. I don't care what happened. I don't care if a neon sign fell from the sky and was blinking saying, do this. It's not God because the scripture denies that that's what you should do. Does that make sense? So he, we're all one, one body in Christ. So that means there's no one that's an individual anymore. If you're a believer, you're, there, you're part of a family, part of a church, part of a, when I say church, I'm talking about the church, not just this little church. Uh, you're part of a body of believers, believe, brothers and sisters, real brothers and sisters. I know we, sometimes we take that for granted, don't we? That, that so-and-so is my brother, so-and-so is my sister. We say it so often, you know, but really Jesus is saying, I'm praying for these guys, these guys that will live thousands and thousands of years later, that will believe on their word, that they will be one just as we are one. The relationship that the Father and the Son share and have shared for eternity, that's the relationship that brothers and sisters in Christ share. And we can forsake that, we can deny that, we can even make light of it, but in God's eyes, we are family. Does that make sense? Is it hard to see each other as family? Just some people. It's not even fun. I am, I am very easy to love. I'm very easy to love. You are not supposed to lie in your house of God. Huh? You are not supposed to lie in your house of God. I'm not lying. I am very easy to love. I think it's hard to accept. It's easy to accept if you know the person or have a relationship with them. But if you're not already close to them, I think it's hard to accept. Yeah. That's what I was talking about, the Holy Spirit will intervene on those those parts to where we're not absolutely sure about this person and the deep draws toward the deep and let the Holy Spirit pull that person to you and if you're in tune with him you'll know that, that you're, you're able to communicate with him it's like the fish in the sand the fish in the sand? yeah you know when they draw the fish to let you know if you're a fish I never heard of that you never heard of that? has anybody ever heard of that? Yeah. a little fish that was this we know the fish is yeah, yeah, the, the fish is that was the symbol. Christmas. Yeah, I knew that. The, the symbol that the Christians used to show. Oh yeah, okay. Okay. Yeah. Oh you drew it in the sand. Drew it in the I, I thought it was something about the sand, like having the fish. Yeah, well they they did that because that was a it was an acronym. Yeah. 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 That's the only part that didn't get Okay, so where are we at? 
that they may be one as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. How, do, how is us being one in the body of believers a testimony to the world that they would know that we, that God, that God, the Father has sent Christ to the world? May I ask that again? How will being united as a body tell the world that Jesus has come from the Father? That Jesus is who he said he is? Huh? I guess you said worship. Yeah, absolutely. What did you say? It's what he said would happen. It's what he said would happen? That we'd be one? That's true. That we would all have this. We would all have the same message. We would all have the same gospel and share the same thing, just like the disciples, the apostles. You know, they the message never changed. Right. That's right. And that God is on Absolutely. The and hell is hot. That's <laughs> right. Hell's still hot and God is still God. Um, and also that the world is under the wrath of God. When I say the world, I mean like People that do not know Christ, they abide under the wrath of God. I abided under the wrath of God before Jesus saved me, and so did you. And so does everybody. And so, there's something about being... It it makes me think of Romans 1, where it says they exchanged God, and so God gave them over. And then it says it again, they exchanged God for a lie, so God gave them over. And then when God gave them over... To reprobate minds, like it says in Romans 1, what happened? They started acting out. They started acting out in sin and rebellion and all those things. But in the midst of all that acting out, in the midst of all that uh, rebellion against God, when you see a whole segment of people that are at peace with God, a whole segment of people that do not abide under the wrath of God. Now, they may not, they're not necessarily better than anybody else. They're not necessarily any less sinful than anybody else. But no longer do they bear the judgment of God over their life. No longer do they bear the condemnation of God over their life. And you can just see, not that you know, they don't go through any problems or any struggles or whatever like that. But there is a peace that comes with not being under the wrath of God. There's a peace that comes and it's going to talk about, Jesus is going to talk about peace here in a minute in these verses, but there's a peace that comes knowing that God has uh, washed away our sin, forgiven us, and as we are one body united in that blood of Christ that has washed away our sin, that is a testimony to the world uh, because it transforms us. Uh, not only do, do we have the Holy Spirit living inside of us, not only do we walk different and talk different and all those things, but no longer are we under the same condemnation that the world is under. No longer do we... I don't know. What's the best way to put it? Yeah, yeah. We live to glorify Him. It doesn't make sense. But we have a freedom. There's a freedom in, in, in our salvation that, that the world does not offer. Right. You know, we we know that regardless of what hardships we go through, we know that regardless of what trials and tribulations we walk through, that in the end we are victorious. Yeah. And you know, it's just like you were talking about with this coworker. You know, she's coming to you because she is struggling to find any type of happiness. 
because she's looking in all the wrong places. She's defeated before she even gets started. Right. Where, you know, when we put our joy in, in, our, in God and we walk knowing that our salvation is true, the best way I can put it is what I was telling one of Cheyenne's friends. Living this life, if I die and there is no heaven, there is no God, there is no anything, if that is hypothetically even possible, me living this life, I have... I would do it anyway because I've lost nothing. But if I walk through this life with the attitude of there is no God, there, you know, and I die, I've lost it all. I've lost everything. Yeah. You know, there's a freedom in this. And so to me, that's the difference. Yeah, sure enough. Sure enough. That's called Pascal's Wager, by the way, in case you ever want to file that under the crap I'll never need to know. <clears throat> and so Pascal, he wagered that if I, if I, if I live for God and it's not true, I've lost nothing. But if I live without God and it is true, then I lose everything. So, I didn't even know that. Yeah, well, see, there you go. You're quoting Pascal and didn't even know it. Didn't even know it. All right, so moving on, we've, we've been running out of time. It's 10 o'clock. All right, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one. We talked about the unity that we have, the perfection that we have in Christ, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me. And here he adds, oh, wait, I skipped one, didn't I? I skipped 22. And the glory... All right, let's read it all together as one thing so we're not taking it apart. It says that... 21 says, That they all may be one, as thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Christ has given his children, his believers, his disciples, glory. The glory of, of God. Now, we look around at each other, and I don't know about you, but I don't feel too glorious. You know, I don't feel like, I don't feel like, but the reality is that we possess the glory of Christ. And, and I'm going to explain that a little more, but I'm, let me read two more verses and I'll show you. It says, The glory that we, even as we are one, I and them, thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and has loved them as thou hast loved me. That's where that glory comes in. He has, it says, and thou hast loved them. Who is them? Us. Those who would believe on the disciples' words. And he loves us as or in the same way that he loves me. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus is the perfect son that has been forever in perfect relationship with the Father. Even before there was a creation, earlier in this chapter it said, I'm returning to you, returning to the glory that I had with you before the world was. He said that. Um, gee, how there, was, there couldn't be a more perfect love than what the Father had for the Son. Okay, What gets in the way of love... With us, with the Father, is our sin, our rebellion. We are enemies of God. That's what the Bible says, enemies of God. We, uh, we hate God, even if we claim to be religious. We, you know, we don't like the actual God of the Bible until He comes and transforms us. But Jesus never sinned. And Jesus was in perfect relationship with the Father, even before there was a creation. And so you can imagine the depth and the breadth of love that the Father held for His only begotten Son, uh, the love relationship that they shared even before creation. 
the, the perfection that, that Jesus never sinned. Jesus never rebelled against his father. Never did anything other than the father's will. I mean the absolute perfection of this relationship. That he ever lived to do the father's will. And he was obedient unto death. And the father loved him like no other. But here in this text. In John 17 the midst of his prayer. Jesus says that the world. I want them to be one. I want them to be united perfectly together. So that the world will know that you have sent me. And the world will also know that you love them. As you have loved me. Now think about that for a minute. Right now. If you died at this moment. If I died at this moment. And I stood before God. There would be all kind of things. I would probably be like anybody else. I'd be crying. You know, God showed my life on a movie screen. I was, you know, it would just be shameful. All the things that I am. All the things that I used to be. All the things that, that are inside of me. In my heart. My whatever. Um, but God, because of His Son, loves me like He loves Jesus. That's perfectly. As if there is no sin, as if there is no rebellion, as if there is no... That's the heart of the gospel. Do you see it? That Jesus paid for that sin so that the Father could look at you and He could look at me and say, I don't see any sin, I see the blood of my own Son and love you, the sinner, just like He loves His only begotten Son who never did anything but the will of the Father. I always tell this story about... One of the Psalms, I wish I could think of it, uh, but it, anyway, it, to me, it, it talks about, it, it's the one that says, lift up your head, O gates, lift up your door, and to me, it's talking about, I mean, it's just this perfect picture of the Son of God returning to heaven after he had accomplished his mission, you know, when he ascended into heaven in front of the disciples, I can just, I just get this whole picture, and it's all in my head, I mean, there's, I can't prove it, you know, but it's all in my head about Jesus strolling back through heaven triumphant after he has defeated death and risen from the grave, defeated hell and, and conquered sin and all these things. And he comes and, and, and walks through heaven as a victorious conqueror, sits down at the right hand of the Father. What do you think the Father felt when he saw his Son returning back through the gates of heaven, returning back through uh, to, the, to the place where his Father was and sitting down triumphant at his right hand? He, Tremendous love. Sure. And he, huh? Joy. Joy. He felt, you know, you could just, you could put in, you could put all kind of emotional things in that supply. You could put all kind of how proud he was, how, you know, just the overflow of love, the overflow of all these things, just all these things. And that's the way that he sees me. That's the way he sees you. Jesus said that the world may know that he loves you the way that he loves me. Now, is that not, I don't know if that blows your mind, but is that not astounding? Because I know my own heart. I don't know any of y'all's heart, but I know mine, and I know it's wicked. And I know everything in me is wicked. Like Paul said, in my flesh, there's nothing good at all. And that God could, through the blood of his son, through the sacrifice of his son, love me in the same way that he loves his son. It's truly that I am a co-heir with Christ. That's what the Bible says. That I am in Christ. The Father looks at me and he doesn't see me. He sees Christ. He sees his Son. So the Father could look at me if I stood before him and he would say, he would say, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Not because I did something good, but because Jesus did. Does 
that make sense? Any thoughts? No? So he says that, you, that the world will know that you love me, that you love them. That's us, it's me. And then finally, last three verses, and we'll, we'll, we'll zip through these. Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. Father, love the Son before the foundation of the world. And that's the same intense, perfect love that He loves us with. He says, I want them to be with me. I want them to be with me. O righteous Father, the world hath not known Thee, but I have known Thee, and these have known Me that Thou sent Me. And I have declared unto them My name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith Thou hast loved Me may be in them, and I in them. So finally, and this is the end of his prayer, Verse chapter 18 starts, when Jesus had spoken his words, words he went forth. So we're going to look at that next week. We're going to start We're going to start going a little quicker, hopefully a chapter a week. There will be about four more weeks to John. Uh, but he ends this prayer sh- saying again that the love that you have loved me with not just will be on me, but will be coming through me. Does that make sense? So when I said, what time is it? Time to go? No. When, when I said that he loves me like he loves Jesus, when he loves you like he loves Jesus, he loves, the Father loves believers. We are co-heirs with Christ. We are, he is the firstborn of many brethren. He, he, he loves you in the same way that he loves Jesus. That love is not meant to just fall upon you, make you feel gushy in your heart, and just sit there. That love is meant to be spread. That love is meant to go through you to others. It's meant to, you're like a conduit that that flows through. See what it says in the last, it says, And I have declared unto them thy name, and will declare it, that the love wherewith thou hast loved me may be in them, and I in them. That love is not just upon you. It's in you for others, for your brothers and sisters in Christ. For the lost and dying world, for you know, the love of God doesn't just rest upon you, and that's your new status. Like you're hanging a sign around my neck that says "Love by God." No, the love of God transforms you into a person that loves as God loves. Are you doing it perfectly yet? No. If you are, I need to meet with you because you're Jesus. But if you're, if if God has transformed you, then you are a new creature and that love resides in you. And it's a love for His children. It's a love for the church. It's a love for His people. You cannot love Jesus and not love His bride. I'm sorry. It's just not possible. It's not possible. Just like you cannot love me and neglect my bride. You cannot love Jesus and not love what Jesus loves. Put it that way. Okay? All right, any questions, comments, cries of outrage? We will pray and we will leave. Diana, you are not here this Friday. We're going to do the college thing where we go to the escape room. Next Friday, we're going to eat it at your house. This Friday, is that right? Yeah, that's right. This Friday, the college and career guys are going to go do their thing. Oh. And then all y'all old people. <laughs> y'all get that <laughs> They don't have, we don't have enough classrooms, we don't have enough teachers to have the college group. Actually, there's more of them than that right there. 
so they're going to be in our class, but they're going to have their own separate deal. So then they can come to the one. Oh yeah, they can come. To, yeah, you can definitely. You got to bring some food, but you can come. Uh, huh? Is it global? Well, you know I mean the whole time thing in our house. You know what I mean. All right, we good? Uh, John and Jessica, John and Jessica visiting with us. We what we're talking about is the 31st next Friday. We all just kind of come and we eat at, at our house and there's a swimming pool. We let we bring Not our kids. This Not this coming. Yeah, the next Friday. The 31st is two weeks. Yeah, and so we just come and eat. Everybody brings a dish. We hang out, play cards, laugh, drink coffee, let the kids swim. So y'all are more than welcome to come. Okay, let's pray and we'll go to service. Lord, we love you. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, God. We just, if we didn't get anything else from these few quick verses that we looked at this week, God, just help us just to remember that love that you have for us that's not found in us or what we've done or what we're doing, but it's found in your Son and what you did for us on the cross. Jesus, we thank you so much for your uh, for your, your love and your compassion, that you would love us so much to give you life. And as we go into service now, God, we pray that you would be with us as we worship you. And as we hear your word preached, God, that you would just come and you would speak to our hearts and that you would change us. We love you, God, and we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you've done in us. In Jesus' name, amen. And that psalm was Psalm 24. Psalm 24. Uh, lift up your head, O gates, and be ye lifted up, ye 